Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, Editorials Editor. Bobby Set, Editorial Writer and Columnist. And welcome. You know, it was a wild week, but when you break it down, really only four big things are happening. Uh, Oklahoma lost Panasonic to Kansas. The January 6th hearings. Mm-hmm. It's hot. It's hot. And it's hot. Tulsa Public Schools had a... Uh, shameful sideshow of antics happening which we'll talk about so um i thought we'd start with the uh fourth with the first one there panasonic mm-hmm. so all kinds of theories about why do we lose this company to this whatever four billion dollar company or one billion dollar company uh to kansas when we were giving them 700 million dollars so what's your theory why do we lose to kansas i've got a few theories um for starters the kansas package was way bigger you know i think it offered, comes down to money yeah yeah we offered 750 million somewhere around that yard mm-hmm. that area uh it was over a billion offered by kansas and so what is kansas really i mean that's why it bothers me about these wars is that you end up maybe not making that much in the end yeah their incentives are, are pretty wild i mean there's all kinds of reimbursement for wages and this and that stuff like that it's like wow how do you how do you recoup how long does it take you to recoup any kind of money on this thing is but you know i understand though i mean you're trying to land a whale you gotta you gotta do that so i mean that was one of the things i saw that uh i i wonder if some of the local pushback in Mays County may have spooked mm-hmm. them a little bit. And not saying that Kansas is any better in this front or any different on this front than we are, but there was a really interesting story in Friday's editions from uh, some folks from the Tulsa Chamber saying that some of that our, yeah. our laws that were these culture war laws that we've been passing lately are starting to scare people away. So. That was a fascinating story this morning. It and, was. Uh, I would suggest people read it. Kevin Canfield wrote it. And it and it it wasn't the person giving the presentation, it was to the city council. It wasn't mm-hmm. like taking a position necessarily, but they're hearing feedback from business leaders saying all these anti-laws, anti-abortion, anti-trans, anti-gay. I would put anti-public schools in there. I mean, if yeah. you're a business wanting to come somewhere, you don't you're like, how are the public schools? I don't want my employee, employees to have to worry about that. So you add all that in there and there's the workforce people are hearing that from business leaders that it's making a bit mm-hmm. of a difference. I think the trends are still, they're still looking at data, but, um, and I would think that that would probably, if, if that is affecting business, it was, it's likely affecting things like higher education recruitment too. So yes. Yeah, so I found that interesting. I don't know if it's related. I mean, the Democrats obviously say that. That's why we lost yeah. Panasonic. But I do think that the the money has a probably more to do with it. So, but I also don't want Oklahoma to go into debt um, to get the whale. I mean, you don't want to you want to benefit from these, not be on the yeah. hook and and. Yeah, you definitely want to come out ahead, and it's it's good that you take. It's good to take a big swing. At big things, right. uh, it just right. depends on how much. I mean, are you gonna end up striking out uh, right. in the long run because right. you maybe went too big and you didn't get quite the return on well, your investment? Well, you know, 
the, but that pushback was interesting because the pushback was about not about the finances. The local pushback was about we don't want these big companies coming in here and putting in their diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. Yeah, and, I, and that's where I think that chamber presentation was interesting. Mm-hmm. That they had no problem with the seven hundred million dollar incentives. It was they didn't want to attract the kind of employees, and that I think Oklahoma is really going to have to reconcile. What kind of future do you want? So. You know, well, but, yeah, and you know, there's that's really an interesting thing that you talked about. <clears throat> the labor pool up in the area where they're building, uh, DeSoto, Kansas, is actually pretty large. It's just outside of Kansas City, so there's a lot that they can draw from in terms of its proximity to Lawrence and the University of Kansas, plus Kansas City Metro and stuff like that. Um, but if you go back to the Tesla thing. It really did boil down to, from what they were saying, is we have to be able to convince our employees to move from California to City X. Is it going to be a better sell in Tulsa? Nothing wrong with Tulsa. Nothing Love Tulsa, love Oklahoma and all that stuff. Or is it an easier sell in a place like Austin, mm. which, you know, is an anomaly in Texas in terms of what that city right. is. Right. But... Austin be ended up being the easier sell. Right. And you know, that's stuff that we got to consider. Right. And and we've had many higher education officials telling us that we are not graduating enough graduates, that there's a real issue of needing to up our college graduate, is particularly in the IT, you know, computer data, all of those kinds of areas, STEM areas, in order to attract that. Because yes, you can move your employees here, but you also have to have. A workforce to pull from. So yeah, that was yep. an interesting point. So the other one, I was watching, I haven't watched completely the January 6th hearings because, you know, I have a life, got to work. Yeah, the but, long um, hearings. You know, they're long, but they've been fascinating. And we we wrote, we wrote an editorial earlier mm. encouraging people to watch because there was this immediate pushback of, I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't do that because what, what I have found, some of the takeaways I have found so far um, and what I was really fascinated this past week are just how many Trump insiders are testifying. Yeah. Are not in yeah. any sort of way liberals or even rhinos. No. I mean, these were Trump through and through. And I mean, his daughter, his, you know, there, there are people who were in the room. And that Rudy Giuliani, Will, Bill Barr, I mean, these are not, you know, and, and so that's what I've been fascinated by. But also just what we're learning is concerning. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah. there's tantrums and the complete denial. And, and to me, that's a test of character. I mean, it's easy to, to, to look good when you win. But if mm-hmm. a person, when you're facing loss and disappointment and how you act, that's the mark of a character, the, your character. But even with that, it's the um, sort of the window got to see through it on the kind of coordination between these extremist groups. And and in this case, with, you know, some Trump officials that knew these insurrectionists were coming, that they'd be armed. I mean, there was, and the coordination among the extremist groups Mm -hmm. that we've been warned about for years. I mean, going back to Timothy McVeigh, the domestic Mm -hmm. terrorism is a much bigger threat for us. And this really hammered that home. And the hearings are still going on, but but we're seeing that that coordination is happening 
it's a groundswell on the dark web and all this stuff, but people are knowing how to tap into it. Mm-hmm. That's the scary part, weaponizing that. So yeah. have you, what are the takeaways for you so far? Um, similar to what you were saying, uh, one thing that people were saying is, well, there's so many Democrats and just two Republicans on the panel. Well, I mean, the two Republicans, it's not like they're, they're rhinos by the classic definition of what a rhino is. I mean, Kinzinger and Shaney are very conservative, socially, fiscally, defense, all right. that kind of stuff. That These guys are about as, these two people are about as hardcore conservative Republicans as you can get. The vast majority of the people who have testified, like you said, have been Republicans. They've been people who voted for Trump twice. Some of them are his campaign officials. Some people are folks who are in the White House and other people outside in the administration, cabinet officials. Um, so this is it's not like you're just bringing in, you know, a bunch of like occupied Democrats people to say, oh, this is what we heard or saw. And that's not the case here. These are people who have been in some cases involved in the party for a long time, decades, true committed to the cause, conservative Republicans, and they're testifying in what they saw. So I think I'd like to kind of throw away the whole thing of saying it's just a big liberal witch hunt, because come on, who's right. doing the talking here? Exactly. So of our delegation, most of them said they're just not going to consider it, except for was a reminder. Lucas said he would watch. Frank Lucas, Lucas said he would pay it. attention and watch. Uh, a few of them have been pretty quiet. Mark Wayne Mullen's like, no way, no how. And Langford was something along that line, maybe not quite as, as hard line as, as what Mullen was saying. But yeah, I mean, they're just, uh, Stephanie Bice had what she had to say before the hearing started, saying it was just some kind of a show trial or something like that. And that kind of misunderstands what this is. It's not a trial. It's a presentation of information. The best analogy I could come up with is this is a lot like a grand jury proceeding to where the grand jury is the people who are watching this, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching it on TV or whatever. We're being presented information. And of course, part of that clientele or part of that audience is going to be the Justice Department because they've been moving, I'd say, just to be nice, cautiously on all of this stuff. Um, But now this stuff is all out there. And, you know, you had the guy from Twitter saying, you know, I think we just lit the fuse of a bomb that's going to go off, you know, hope and nobody dies. I mean, if Twitter is, people on Twitter are thinking that, you know, between that and what uh, Mark Meadows was said to have said in the room, uh, some of the other people, there was an expectation of violence, that this was, you know, a multi-pronged effort to overturn the election. And they basically got shut down on everything else. So this was the last thing. Legally, there was no other, I mean, Joe Biden won. 60 courts. And yeah. everything. And so the last uh, straw was violence to take yeah, it by illegal means. Send a bunch of people up there, stop the proceedings with as much violence as was needed, delay it, somehow unfold that in a way that could send it back to the states or whatever. And that's, 
what it's getting at is how high up the chain does this go? And piece by piece, they're saying, it, it looks like they're saying it goes all the way to the top. And we'll we're going to find out. Yeah, we're going to find out more. Yeah. I think next Thursday. But, but people planning. should watch it and come up with their own takeaways. Yeah, you know, that's what yeah we're, for sure. These are our takeaways. I hope others do. So, yeah. um, Bob, it's hot outside. And it's I kind of want to blame the meteorologist. And I know that makes no sense. It's like blaming the messenger. Yeah. But I swear every time James Adelot puts up that forecast in the morning, I'm like, ugh, James. Yeah. And his dad jokes make up for it, though. So, um, but yeah, we're looking at 107 temperatures next year, next week. Yeah. You write about how hot it is. I did. That's where you're at. That's where I'm at, man. I was. Uh, you drove somebody... down to Texas and back. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was a weird thing is I drove down the first day I went down to San Antonio. It was actually hotter here in Tulsa than it was in San Antonio. Go figure. But people have been talking about how meteorologists have been talking about how this summer is setting up a lot like 2011 was. Mm -hmm. And 2012 after that was almost as bad. If you remember how hot those days were, just days and days and days of what we're seeing forecast for us. Temperatures in the hundreds, maybe starting to approach you know, 110. I don't think anyone's predicted 110, but I've seen a 107 in there. Yeah. So we're just in this weather pattern that is going to be pretty ugly. So when you have stuff like this or a big hurricane or unexpectedly strong tornado outbreak in the wrong kind of season, people start talking about climate change. Um, I would say when you look at something, you got to, you can't blame like one weather event on climate change necessarily off the bat but what you can do is look at trends trends tell you what weather trends tell you what's happening in a climate and that does tell a different picture it does tell us that you know the west is drying up and becoming more fire prone drought prone all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh, there are areas in the world right now that are May in the near future, 20, 30 years might become pretty much unlivable. That so, was fascinating to me that there are some areas in the world that have been populated that you look at it, they're turning into Death Valley, I think is what you said. And yeah, and um, so Death just, Valley regularly hits temperatures, summertime temperatures between 118 and 125 degrees. Mm -hmm. The capital of India, which is no small city. Right. It's a very large city. It's not a desert in the middle of nowhere where nobody lives. There's, you know, 30 million people living there. Something crazy like that. They hit 120 degrees during a heat wave in, I think, May. And when you look at that whole region there in the Persian Gulf and in the Arabian Sea and stuff like that, it's getting rough. It's getting bad in a lot of those places. And your body just can't handle it. Power and grids the, can't and the power it. grid can't handle it. So yeah, just like Texas power grid can't handle its heat. Exactly. Yeah, D Dallas now is warning, been warned that there may be rolling blackouts, and and actually in Oklahoma there are some parts that are starting to water ration. Certain rural water routes, they're they're starting yeah. to ration. So, so yeah. So you take that on. Mm -hmm. But what I got in the middle of, not in the middle of, but I was sort of. I went to the board meeting. So Tulsa Public Schools had a, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it was just this roller coaster this past week. And it started with yeah. um, a regular board meeting where you pass consent items and consent items are everything from, they're usually non-controversial items. 
paying the utility bills, the, the hiring of new people, uh, renewing contracts of things like reading partners and academic programs mm-hmm. and, schools and things like that, Ex- like state grants, accepting officially accepting the state grant into the budget to expend it. So there were there are seven members. One was absent. So there are six left. Three halted the the passage of the the consent agenda. They also simultaneously halted the process to issue the bond issue, like the taxpayer approved yeah. bond issues. Stuff that we issue, voted for. Right, that we voted for. And that this. bond issue is not overseen by the administration. Two decades ago, there was a committee system set up. There's a citizen committee set up that they both, uh, and one committee kind of helps determine future bonds. Mm. One committee oversees the current bonds. All of the bids that, you know, basically you're taking a loan out to do projects. So Mm. those bids for that money are sealed. No one knows who they come from. So, and the rules, the instructions are, we take the lowest bid. This is all not new, but they halted that because the winning bid was Bank of Oklahoma, which is this big major bank, but the superintendent's husband works in the bank. Therefore, they just didn't want to pass it. So it was this whole thing. And all of this stuff could have been dealt with before the meeting. And then on the consent agenda, they blocked the whole thing. I mean, they blocked hiring teach. It was just, and then the bad part, I mean, that was bad enough. But then when the superintendent said, here's the consequences of what's going to happen, we can't pay our utility bills. We're not going to be able to hire these people. They're going to leave for other districts. Those three members, and I will name them, Jeanette Marshall, Jerry Griffin, who's running for city council, and uh, Elena Ashley, who at that point had attended five meetings because she was just elected in April, walked out got up, walked out, didn't want to hear it. And then Jeanette told another board member to shut up. I was like, what is this? And so then, of course, the reaction was pretty swift. But I went to the board meeting. They called another board meeting, a special board meeting, to try to salvage this. And they did. But what got me was there's been this growing group that are attending all the board meetings. And and I've called them the anti-public ed group. They will say we're just holding people accountable, but they're not because they're not providing any solutions. They're not providing any sort of, they have, they don't have kids in school. Some of them don't even live in the district because I know who some of them are. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're just there to cause chaos. And I think that emboldens maybe some of the board members who have personal grudges or beefs or whatever, that they're, they're getting cheered, actually cheered by this group and they're growing in the audience. This is the same group that last month booed a middle school girl who got up in front of the board and wanted to talk about LGBT, LGBTQ experiences in schools. If you are a grown person booing a 12 or 13 year old and you feel like you, and one woman yesterday was shouting to the point where they ejected her. I'm like, what are you doing? You've got to really, yeah. if you're getting ejected from a Tulsa board meeting because you're shouting, You've got to rethink the decisions you've made in your life to that point. That's that's not helping. And that's not being a public school advocate or trying to hold people accountable. That's being disruptive. And so that's what I wrote about Sunday. Mm -hmm. I want the school board to be functional. I want 
I want them to ask hard questions, but I also want them to do their jobs because yeah. behind this are the questions they're asking. I know they know the answers. And some of it, they get a packet 10 days before. Yep. Some of that background information, they're, they're just playing gotcha. They can ask that before. They can get all that. And so it's clear that a couple of them, they're showing up to the meeting, they're looking at it and, oh, I got some questions. Well, you were elected to, to have those questions before. So, but you know, part of it, and Bob, you covered a lot of, of public board meetings. Mm -hmm. Through this whole thing this past week, I've realized how many people don't understand how public boards work. Yeah. And that's- Including apparently one of our school board members, but anyway, go on. No, no, I was just, I mean, <laughs> that's, it comes up every once in a while that people, and especially in the Twitterverse, they want to throw out, and especially with, they wanted to blame Deb Gist for this. I'm like, she doesn't control the board. The board president sets, I mean, well, she, Deb Gist could have done, I'm like, no, it's, it's very frustrating that people want to assign blame elsewhere. They don't understand how it works. And, and I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, have you, is this something new, Bob? I mean, I, in my time, 30 years of covering public boards, I've never seen a consent agenda not passed. Yeah, that's, that's extremely rare. I, I haven't seen anything like that since the days that I was covering the Moore City Council back Have you ever in the seen 90s. A members walk out before? I'm not going to say yes, but I think I've seen something akin to that where things were just so tense and so divided and, you know, people were being obstinate just to be obstinate that they just did. They just took silly, a break or something or a silly journey. things. They did silly yeah. things and stuff and it, like that. You know, it's interesting. There was right after that, I stayed till like 6.30 last night. What's interesting is when like that contentious part ended and they ended up passing it, not without, mm -hmm. I mean, Elena actually voted no on a lot of things, including continuing the Chinese program at Booker T. Washington, because apparently she was concerned that communist China was involved with indoctrinating kids at Booker T. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. She is going to be an interesting member, but and I would like uh, to get a message out to her about that particular thing. <laughs> that was a weird out of nowhere. This, this is me thing. speaking to Elaine Ashley. China is going to be a competitor, a rival, and possibly a foe for years to come. We need people to understand China, to understand the language. It is important that we have people educated and how to speak and read Chinese. Anyway, go ahead. Well, and also, well, in this contract is held by a nonprofit in Texas and has been since 89, which again was information that was provided, but you know, but this, it's just, um, yeah, I just, I, I just looked at the, some of the people in the crowd. Now I will say last, the crowd yesterday, there were a lot more teachers and advocates and people to sort of balance that. Because one thing people don't see is this growing sort of angry kind of group. I don't know mm -hmm. what else to call them. They're not helpful, but and I think that that crowd seeing that there were other people out there sort of helped the, the board stay on track, that they, you know, that the tolerance for that kind of grandstanding and theatrics wasn't really going to be accepted yesterday like it was 
on Monday. So I do mm-hmm. hope, that if anything, if this wakes people up to caring more about how the school board operates, how people are, how their board representatives are voting, then that's a good thing. But what's interesting is once all that, once those items passed, they went into sort of a retreat where they were, they've been working on trying to build a better board communication and they, and then they got into data. People always talk about, we want the data, what are the outcomes? Well, once that started, that crowd left. They were yeah, like, this glaze is over Governing their faces. is boring. Looking at, and you know, for most of the, the board members, they're really into it because you, in order to, to be effective in a district like Tulsa, which is really complex, you have to, I mean, you have to really kind of dive down to figure out what's behind some of these scores. And as they were looking at pandemic response. And I just thought at one point there were seven people, including two of us, uh, Lindsey Crable, who's Burton, who's in the uh, uh, re- news side and myself. And I'm like, yeah, this is pretty much it. They like the chaos, but oh, oh, the part of actually doing the job. Well, that's over out. So, yeah. and I, that's what I want to get past. I want to get past the, um, that, that chaos that there, I'm just convinced there are some people and some groups out there that they just like the fight. They don't like the solution part. Mm. That's where I'm coming down in this day and age with politics. There's just some people who like the fight. Some people want to watch the world burn and I'm not going to directly accuse these people of being that because that's a assuming quite a bit. But sometimes actions speak louder than words. And I mean, if you're just there because, you know, in some ways, like TPS and Deborah Gist have become targets. targets from, in some ways, oh, they have. I yeah, missed a meeting on it, but they have. Political campaigns well beyond Tulsa Public Schools and the school board. They've become a lightning rod. So it's... It's kind of funny how you've got people who are not connected to TPS, but are high profile folks coming after TPS, coming after Dr. Guest. And all of a sudden, this AstroTurf army of people, some within the district, some without, outside the district, here they come converging on the school board to create chaos. And yeah, and they're shouting shout and, down a kid and, and shouting down school yeah. board members and administrators and stuff like that. It's like, Really? I mean, can we be grown-ups? No. I don't no know well, I, I've even advocated there's a the, uh, the conservative uh, legislature uh, wanted, they passed a bill to make to make it um, illegal to like interrupt at local board meetings so you could actually have them arrested. I'm like, I think they should do that. Get a couple of rest under your belt for, you know, interrupting. And it was based on, it was funny, it was based on you know, civil rights and liberal activists interrupting. And so, mm-hmm. hey, that's good to do, but they did eject. The shoe fits. Yeah, like, you know, it goes both ways. But that's the, uh, yeah, it was a, a very sad display, but I hope that they kind of get back to just doing the business they were elected to do. But I do hope more people who really care about public schools pay more attention. And, I, you know, going back to your point, uh, you know, they're not from the district or they're not, they don't have kids in school. And the, there is a, a legit argument of if you're a taxpayer, you have an investment in the schools. And I agree. And you want to see outcomes. But the problem is, even those who are living in the district that are sitting in and causing these problems, they haven't been in a school. Like they're making assumptions like we're teaching third graders, uh, you know, 
same about same sex marriage. I'm like, no, no, they really aren't. They we're not teaching third, you know, whatever reading. I'm like, no, they are teaching multiplication skills. They, have they are to. teaching these things. I mean, there are a lot of assumptions going on that are not true. And so that's the frustration with what I'm seeing with this group is yes, I agree. I think everyone in Tulsa should care about their schools, whether you have kids there or not. But but do a little homework to know what's actually going on in a classroom. So yeah, that's what I'll leave with. So um, other than that, I'm going to take a break from social media because I'm spending way too much time arguing with uh, anonymous accounts that are pointless. That's my that's going to be like a, a resolution. Do not engage with anonymous accounts. And if you get your information from anonymous accounts, stop it because it. Talk to people. Know who you're talking to. If so they're anyway, using an avatar that's not their picture, be careful. Then they're not. Yeah, it's easy to throw out criticisms and barbs and lies and distortions when it's not your, you know, you're not held accountable. So, but anyway, uh, I'm going to stay inside. I'm going to go get my daughter from camp this weekend. Mm. I've seen her in two weeks. I'm going to kind of miss her now. And uh, She's been outside in the nature for two weeks. I'm going to hose her off before she walks into the, you know, house. In, in the I'm nature. Gonna get a, a, I'm going to get a day of beauty for my teenage girl. To, uh, That's hilarious. To get her back in shape. But uh, other than that, I'm just going to take it easy. What about you? Probably the same. Um, the heat is kind of a burden, I guess. But, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm going to watch the... Uh, one thing I may watch from social media is the fireworks gun that maybe begin to go off down the road in Oklahoma City as they consider building a new arena Ooh. for their basketball team. Ooh, that'll be hey, fun. Oklahoma City. <laughs> it is nice when, to when the arena problems Roulette. are in your backyard. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, wait. Welcome to oh, Arena Roulette, where Kansas City, <laughs> Seattle, and other mid-sized markets are greedily watching what happens. Yeah, that'll be interesting. You know, mm-hmm. it really is kind of bad with it being so hot, is that in order to, like, get any kind of walk or exercise in outside, you got to wake up at, like, 530 in the morning. That's or just... suffer. Huh? Or oh, suffer. Oh, yeah, I'm not suffering. No, I'm not doing that. But I went out a couple of times. I went out to La Fortune and I had to, I got up at like 530, 6 in the morning and it, it was packed. It was so funny. You see all these people that are thinking the same way. I go, who would have thought a 630 in the morning walk would have this many people? I'm like, oh, yeah, we're all trying to avoid the 105 degree heat. So it's, it's funny you mention that because like on Tuesday, I've got this run group that I go with out at Turkey Mountain and it was a. It was a nice seasonal 92 degrees outside. <laughs> this is all right. 92 felt okay. Uh, whatever, nope. man. Whatever. Nope. Well, just a few months, we'll be talking about how cold it is. So anyway, and I will say, because I mentioned James Aid a lot, but we have an excellent meteorologist on staff, Kirsten Lang. She writes two columns a week, and she's writing about climate change and all the issues. So I want to give her a mention, too, that we have a great meteorologist who was once on television here. So we got to get her on the podcast sometime. I know we should, we should get, yeah, exactly. So anyway, everyone have a good weekend. See you later.